Hey, and welcome to the fourth episode of On the Couch with Pen Talk, and I'm your host, Christine. Our question for this season is, who taught you how to be a man? And on this episode, I sat down with 34-year-old Francis, and we talked about how his life was impacted by having three fathers. Yes, three. So sit down and listen. Oh, and make sure you follow us on Instagram at PenTalkUK. All right, so I'm going to jump straight in to the questions, or with the questions, should I say. All right, Francis, um, what does it mean to be a man, in your opinion? Wow, what does it mean to be a man, or what is a man? So this is like a strictly opinion-based question, right? Strictly opinion-based. Strictly-based opinion. Um, I think to be a man is to be a leader. Um, To be a man is to be the head of the household. I think it's the individual that upholds accountability in God's holy order because I'm a Christian, so I believe in God's holy order. Um, I think being a man as well is being the true definition of love, protection, calmness, guidance, and also sacrifice. Okay. Sorry, say that again. I said there's a whole bunch, isn't it? Do you know what? It's interesting because I've done three... Um, three interviews so far and a lot of you have highlighted accountability yeah um when you describe what it means to be a man so that's a reoccurring theme so that's been interesting to to kind of yeah. see i mean okay I think, so yeah. what were you saying um, what i was going to say is that um as a leader or if you believe that a man is a leader with any position of leadership comes accountability you can't blame those who you're supposed to lead for your shortcomings because you're the one leading them there you're the, you're the one that's supposed to be setting the example and being the shining light so accountability is definitely key for anyone who claims a position of leadership and you think that's intrinsic to being a man yeah i definitely do yeah okay so did you have a father or at least a father figure growing up um that's an interesting one for me because um, my situation is a bit different, but I definitely had a father figure growing up, yes. Okay. Do you want to explain a bit about your situation? Yeah, the reason why my situation is a bit complex is that my biological father didn't actually raise me. So I lived with my biological father and not many people actually know this story, funny enough, because I, I, the person who I claim to be my father is the individual who raised me as my father. Um but yeah, my biological father didn't raise me. I lived with him up until the age of three, um, after which I was adopted to my sister, who I lived with um, initially in a different country. And then um, I lived with her and her husband. Then after another six years, I moved in with another sister who I lived with for pretty much the majority of my life for the last 20 odd years. And her husband raised me as his son. So that is my father figure and the individual who has been my true father figure for the majority of my life. Wow. So how difficult was that for you then, seeing like different models? Um, of... it, it was strange initially because I don't actually remember my relationship with my biological father until I met him for the first time when I was 18 years old. So he was always... Um, Well, I only knew him as my grandfather up until the age of 12. That's when I realized that the person who I thought was my biological father was actually my sister's husband. And that my sister was was not my mother, but my sister. So it's a a strange place I've been in in terms of... Sorry? It sounds complex. It it sounds hella complex, yeah. (laughs) 
really young, I was able to um, kind of be, be, be trained to believe who my father was instead of who my actual biological father was. I, found, I think it kind of worked for that system um, at the time to enable me to settle in better into the family and integrate. But um, when I first found out, um, it, was more of, it was more of a case of confusion. But when the situation was explained that it was for my benefit, and um, it was to give me the opportunities, which enabled me to have, I kind of felt more appreciative and also, I, I, I felt, how, did, how can I express how I felt? I, I felt privileged to have been given the opportunity to be raised by a wholesome family, if I can say it that way. So what was your relationship like with the different fathers or different father heads that you've had in your life? Um, my, well, my biological father was a strange relationship because he was always like the, the person on the other end. I, I kind of just referred to him as my granddad and I kind of just kept that relationship as it was um, just right. as my granddad, but also my biological father. Um, but my second father, who I lived with for about six years, um, it was a strange relationship because we weren't really that close at all. He was a businessman, always constantly on the move. So I kind of looked up to him as a businessman. I admired him for what he had. But we didn't have a relationship. We never really talked much. And it wasn't a case of him not just talking to me, but he didn't talk to his own actual, actual biological kids either. Cause, oh, really? Yeah, he was always out and about on the move and stuff. And this was when I lived in Sweden. But um, my relationship with my father now, who um, is my third and final father, who I've been with for the last time. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you put it, third and final father. Final father. The Matrix. Yeah, pretty much so. Um, that, that's been absolutely amazing. This, this, you know, he really embraced me and took me in as his son straight from the get-go so I never really felt that he was anything else but the, the man who I'm supposed to look up to and the man who's supposed to guide me and, and teach me how to be a man so what sort of so how I guess how did you perceive your third and final father um, um, growing up initially I just saw him as my sister's husband I just saw him as my elder sister's husband who was taking care of me. But then yeah. based on how he treated me, um, exactly how he was treating his children and referring to me as his son and offering me all of the, the spoils that a father's supposed to offer his children and there being no no difference between how he was treating his kids and me, I, I kind of just automatically started absorbing and taking to him as my father. And then over time, he just became my father because of the role that he played and the role that he accepted. So it started off. It started off as just my sister's husband, but then based on how he behaved towards me, he became my father. Okay, describe him in three words. Strong, um, loving, and sacrificial. And did at any point in your life do you feel like you couldn't live up to the standard that he had set? Most definitely. Um, I think in most recent years, I started looking back at how he treated me and how he raised us all and realizing how extremely um, selfless he was. It, it kind of made me a bit scared because I started comparing him in terms of like the different age, the different stages of age that he, he was when he took me on and the age that I am currently. So he took me in when he was in his early 30s, like 32, 33 and I look back. I look back at myself at that age, thinking, "Wow!" At that age, he had three children, including one that wasn't his own, and he dealt with it selflessly. He was completely sacrificial, and everything that he done was for these three children, including myself, who wasn't his biological child. 
So looking back at it, I'm thinking, wow, in this day and age, would I be able to do what he did as a man? And that scares me because at times I'm thinking, no, I can't. I mean, I'm older than what he, he was at the time now. And I'm thinking even at this age, the age of 34, I'm not sure if I could do what he did. And he always done it with a smile on his face. You see what I mean? So that sacrificial side of him always scares me. I'm like, can I live up to that? Can I be the man he was? Maybe if I was put into the situation, I possibly could. Because I think he's given me enough of a training for me to become a, a good individual and a caring individual. But can I be as sacrificial as he is? And that's a question I'm always asking myself. And that's the inadequacies I have when I try and compare myself to the man that he is. Okay. Okay, so obviously the topic of discussion is who taught you how to be a man? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you, Francis, who taught you how to be a man? Um, my, my father taught me how to be a man. And when I say my father, we're talking about the last and final. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's the only one I actually refer to as, as my dad now anyway. So that's, that's the end. That's the case closed there, just to clarify things. Um, my, 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 my other sister's husband, I just refer to as my uncle. And my biological dad, I refer to to those people as my biological dad, but I don't really refer to him as my father or dad. My father and my dad is the, the man who I always refer to. Um, he definitely was the one that taught me how to be a father or how to be a man. Sorry. And how, in what ways did he teach you how to be a man? Was it, did, did he set, like, what sort of examples? Do you have any examples that you can pull out? Yeah. For us? I mean, apart from all the words that I mentioned previously, as in what makes a man, the leadership and all the other stuff that, and all the sacrificial stuff that I've, I've mentioned previously, um, let me, I'll just give this an example of how he taught me how to be a man. So, for instance, when I was when I was younger, around the age of like 12, 13, um, I was really close to one of my female cousins. Like, um, So I always used to hang around with her and her friends. We used to go rollerblading together. Whenever we go to cinema, we'd be together and she would bring her friends along. So what he always used to do is, at the time, I was young, didn't have much money so if we were to go cinema for instance he he, he would know that i'm going to cinema with a group of four girls so it'd be me and four girls five of us and he would always say to me do you have any money and clearly i didn't have any money and he knows i don't have any money then you hand me over 50 pound note and he goes always offer to pay rich, rich. sorry you were rich rich no he, he were rich rich but <laughs> it, it, the thing is i never really ended up spending most of the money anyway and always returned it back to him but it was it was now when I look back, I see what he was instilling in me. He was instilling that manly protection, as we, and which a lot of people tend to push back on now. But what he would do is he would give me the £50 note or £20 note or whatever it may be at the time, depending on how many people are going and where we're going. And he's like, always offer to pay. And if any of them can't pay, make sure that you handle it without any question. I never used to understand that. I was like, why does he want me to pay for them? I don't want to pay for them. They're going to bring their own money. They're coming from their own house. I'm sure their parents are bringing the money. But he's like, are there any other guys going to be there? And I'm like, no, it's just me and four girls. And he goes, take care of them. That used to be his thing. His thing was always be the protector. You know what I mean? Be the man. Lead the way. Always be the one to offer. Always be the one to put yourself in line when need be. And that's one of the examples. And I look back at it now and I'm like, I see what he was doing at the time. Because he does the same thing with my younger brother. Whenever he's going out, he goes, who are you going out with? And if he hears that there's going to be any younger people there or females there, he always tells him to offer to pay. And then he always ensures that he has enough money to offer to pay. It's not even the, it's not even the monetary side of it as well. It's, it's the psychological element of teaching a boy to be a protector and a leader in situations. I love that. Okay, so in the beginning when I asked you, um, what does it mean to be a man? You listed certain characteristics. Mm-hmm. So 
At any point in your manhood, have you ever felt like you have fallen short? And why? Based on the characteristics that you gave. So you gave leadership, accountability, um, caring, etc. So has there been any point in your life where you feel like you've fallen short of those characteristics that you gave me? Most definitely. I mean, if, if I hadn't fallen short in the gym, then I'll be, I'll be Jesus Christ. I don't know. I'll be perfect. <laughs> um, I've definitely fallen short of a few. Um, some I'm not so proud of. Others, maybe you can attribute them to being young and naive. But... Um, I think when it comes to falling short, to me, is it's usually a case of when it comes to relationships with the opposite sex. Okay. Or maybe in situations where um, where I've been loved but haven't been unable to love back and kind of like misled situations. There's always that sense of guilt that I wasn't honest or I wasn't, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Transparent? Yeah, not just transparent. Honourable? Yes, yeah. I wasn't honourable in my ways. Definitely, I've fallen short many times when it comes to that. And I think it's a part of the growing process as well because it's easy to teach someone something, but it's different when you actually face it directly on the field and you're you're actually experiencing something that you've been taught to behave a certain way in. You see what I mean? So I've I've fallen short plenty of times. So aside from women... Aside from where you've fallen short with women, can you give an example of where you've just fallen short or where you feel like you could have done better or you feel like you could have been a better man in a scenario? Um, in a scenario. Hard question, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's a really tricky question. And the funny thing is, you know that there is there is examples, but then trying to pull those examples, because as human beings, we're, we're very we're tricky when it comes to pulling out examples of our own shortcomings in life. And then you're really trying to figure out. Um, possibly when I've been younger and we've been in situations where friends um, are about to do something bad, something which you know is not the right behavior to um, or the right action to take. And you know in the, those instances you're meant to take charge and lead and be like, guys, this is not what we're actively supposed to be doing. But it's really difficult for me to pick one out. <laughs> Okay, I'll move on to the next question. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll move on to the next question then. Um, how did you grapple with um, your perception of manhood? And how did you grappling with your perception of manhood affect your relationship with other men and then and then with women? Wait, how, can you say that question again? Please? I should repeat it. Okay, actually, let me break it down. Have you grappled with perceptions of manhood in your head? So have you... Has there ever been like an internal conflict with how society wants you to be and how you want to be based on what you know yeah. to be masculine? Yeah, most, most definitely. Um, I think it's the case that at the moment there's a real pushback for, there's a real pushback against the traditional man. Um, I think there's many, there's many debates that are being had. There's, there's a lot of discourse around does the traditional man or is the traditional man required? Um, there's 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 the sense that being a man and um, and and wanting to be a man or wanting to follow the those traditional viewpoints of what a man is is wrong in a sense, and that 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 goes across society. So for instance, even we make jokes about it nowadays where um, where so shibri for instance, people say shibri are dead, but when you do try and display um, signs of shibri towards certain women, they feel like you're attacking their own strengths for being able to stand on their own two feet. And that's what I'm grappling with mentally right now. I'm like, at some point, 
we need to be able to differentiate between the two men and women. We need to understand that maybe there are roles that each play, which which one plays better than the other, and maybe there's nothing wrong with men wanting to um, be shivers. There's nothing wrong with men wanting to lead. And seeing that as something being wrong is kind of an issue that I'm kind of grappling with at the moment and I'm struggling to get to grips with and put my finger on. Okay. Um, okay, so and you've explained... How women you... Romance, right? Pardon? And there was another question regarding to women and romance. Oh, yeah, exactly, regards to women. So... Um, so how does your grappling or your understanding of manhood affect your relationship with women? Hello? Can you hear me? Yes, now I can, yeah. Okay. Um, so how so you grappling with your perceptions of manhood, how does it affect your relationship with women? I think you've mentioned already that there are some women who feel like you being chivalrous is like an attack. Yeah. I think it's more a case where women having to emphasize more, well, not emphasize more, um, empathize more to our struggles as men. Um, I, I personally believe that women are, I think women are naturally born with a purpose. Like the life cycle of women tends to be quite naturally purposeful. Wise with men, we find our purpose in things, and um, we, 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 to me personally, I feel like we're that that thing. That men nat- that that thing that men naturally developed or and constructed is being destroyed and now we're we're lost and people are not really being emp- empathetic to the man's struggle to be a man and to find his purpose within the world and that's the issue that I tend to grapple with when it comes to women. So you don't think that women are empathetic enough to the struggle? I, I really don't because I, I think the issue being is that. Um, th- there was there was a major division initially historically between men and women, and we're, we're trying to balance that. We're trying to equalize that. But in equalizing, that, I think a lot of men are being sort of like pushed, shoved under the bus, and that that's going to imbalance things even further the other way. And a lot of men are seem to be lost in this whole discourse. We're supposed to be in dialogue together to try and solve the complex issues of of civilization and the complex issues of of the genders, the sexes, and the races. But now when you solve one issue or when you're dealing with one issue particularly, you tend to either forget about the other issue or have those that push the others under the bus. And that is the issue that I find with this whole current discourse of um, between man and woman. Okay, so that kind of leads on nicely to the next question. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there's a heavy burden on black men in particular? Do you think that there are weightier expectations on black men in particular and i'm saying black men because obviously you're a black man yeah um this one here is a tricky one because well sorry so the, the question is um is there, is there a burden on black men that what's the what's the actual question is it like a, do you think there's a burden on black men in particular is there like do you feel like the society places that maybe a higher expectation or do you feel like us as a community places a higher expectation on black men to do xyz yeah like um, burden, like expectation to just to just to be to be to exist yeah i mean we we all know that there's this racial disparity we all know that and um i think the issue here that we're not looking at very carefully is that Knowing clearly that there's a racial disparity and also those that want men to lead should understand that if there's a racial disparity, 
then the battle is going to be extremely harder for black men. Do you see what I mean? So if you're, for instance, if you're a black woman and you want your man to be the leader of the household, you want him to be the, the provider and so forth, and you want to move into the middle class and the higher upper class within society, that's, that, that, that disparity within society as a whole is going to take a toll on the man and the pressure and the expectations of that man to break that social barrier is going to be an extreme burden. It's, it's, it's psychologically really painful to, to try and fight such a battle externally and then also fighting it internally at home. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so to me, so for instance, what people understand is that there's a small pool, there's a really, really tiny pool of success, not just successful, because successful tends to, we, we, that, when you talk about success, people look at the extreme. But I'm talking about well-to-do black men. There's a small pool. But then there might be a massive pool of black women who are looking for that type of black man. So, but they don't have they don't have a balanced pool to look for. You see what I mean? Because of the disparities within society and also the the disparity which you find within your own community. Okay. Um. Okay. So last two questions then. Um. What has been a man taught you about yourself about and about myself. relationships? Um, well, what has being a man taught me about myself? I think being a man has taught me that, like, as much as people, as much as there is a, um, a, a, as much as there is currently a struggle to equalize and balance things within society, that people still look out up for men to be the leaders of the society and of the home. Because with a lot of things that's going on with people complaining and people and women in particular wanting men to, to step up, that's that's all a clear sign that there is something in us that we need to learn to harness in order to help us develop better homes and better communities and thus helping the world to become a better place. And also realise that it's, to be a man is it's, it's a heavy burden. Um, it's, it's really a heavy burden um, which requires a lot of preparation um, and it requires a lot of not just preparation on your own, but it also requires a lot of training from the home, from other men to enable you to know what it requires for you to be a man and to be a good man at that. And I know I said the last two questions, but I'm going to insert another one. Do you feel like men are being fully equipped? Um, men who grow up with worthwhile fathers are being fully equipped. Men who are, who are growing up without fathers or without worthwhile fathers, because there's a big difference. You can have a father, but if he's not worthwhile and if he's not actively and purposefully being a father and teaching what it is to be a man actively, then there's no point in having a man there in the first place. So I think those who do have it, they're being equipped. But then if you look at the numbers, those that do have it are minute. You can even classify them as being privileged now. Someone even told me the other day, because I was having a debate with someone regarding a lot of the issues facing the black community, and I said, fathers are required in this present moment of time, but there's not many in our community, and that's a major issue. And they, they, they said to me, oh, but you can talk because you're privileged. And I'm like, we can't just keep throwing the word privileged around for something which is right. Yes, I understand it is a privilege because there's many that don't have it, and that's what you should be looking at. Because those many that don't have it, the stats will prove that those many that don't have it will end up with shortcomings, major shortcomings. Those many that don't have fathers do end up in prison. Those many that don't have fathers do end up with mental issues. Those many that don't have fathers, let's say worthwhile fathers, do end up be, becoming the perpetrators of rape and molestation and all of these other things. 
you see what I mean? And that's what that's one thing that I think is is major key that we need to be looking at. That yeah, it is a privilege, but it's also one of the key cornerstones of growing a healthy family and their healthy children. So how do we equip um, men who have not had the privilege of having a healthy father figure in the home? That's, what that's do you think we one. need to do? Um, that's that's a really tough one. Um, I recently had a conversation with someone who, um, um, this gentleman, he was, a, um, he was an ex-drug addict and um, he was talking about the issue with a lot of the people um, who are not like him who came out of, because he was able to recover from being a drug addict to now working with the government. And he said the only thing that helped him was the fact that he had a family. He had a father and a mother back home and even had a girlfriend who wanted to marry him. So, and he realized that with a lot of the people that weren't that was around his age that was still stuck in um, in that world of drug consumption, they didn't have the family unit. So he was trying to grapple with how to recreate the family unit for those that do not have it. And he realized that it's a community thing that society needs to needs to learn how to be more of a community, not to be a community to other random strangers because it's very hard to take someone in that you don't recognize. But if if you're if you're a family member of someone who you clearly know doesn't have a father around, be that voice, be that strength, be that person who who's, I'm talking to men in particular, be that person who knows that your your nephew's um, father hasn't been, hasn't been around and won't be around anytime soon. So you step in there, check how they're doing in school, be that voice of authority, offer yourself to be of help to the to the parents, be be a mentor. And we just go. We go. We just go. Give back to ourselves as a community in order to strengthen men and to, in order to be an example to men. Because what happens is when you talk to boys, because I've done mentoring plenty of times in my life and I still continue to do so. When you talk to young boys who don't have male figures at home, they get extremely excited and they open up at a completely different level. And their eyes like open up, especially when they develop that level of trust for you as well as a as a man. And then they have conversations with you that they've never had with their mothers before because they don't feel safe. Or not that they don't feel safe, but they just feel like the mother won't understand that level of conversation because it's a man issue. Same way that female girls, young girls go to their mothers for particular conversations. Young boys need a place to go to have that conversation. So it's about offering yourself to those who are in that situation. And also, if you're a single mother, for instance, finding that individual to be that, that manly or that masculine voice for your son, whoever that may be. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, last question, I promise. Mm -hmm. What are the things that you would pass on to your son? Um, everything that my father passed on to me. And um, that's, that's about being an upstanding example. Because I genuinely believe that children learn more from seeing what you do than what you tell them. So I could have a son and I, I can tell him, don't do this, son, don't do that. That's fair enough. That's, all a, part, that's a part of the game. But at the end of the day, he has to see how I treat his mother. He has to see how I take care of the household. He has to see how I treat his sisters. He has to see my relationship with my co-workers, my business partners. He needs to see that I am the type of man that I'm telling him to be. Because if I'm telling him to be an upstanding um, citizen of society, but then he's coming home to me slapping his mom up, shouting at his sisters, or me getting arrested for molesting someone outside of the family, what is he going to take from that? So to me, what I'm going to show, my, what I'm going to take, uh, what, the question being, uh, what, what would I pass on to my son would be me being an example at home. So me be ensuring that I abide by the laws which I set to him. Okay. 
That was very thorough. Thank you so much for taking 27 minutes of your life. I know you said 30 minutes. (laughs) I had to think about a question. You know, I'm not great. No, it's fine. Like, you did really well. Um, You really highlighted, you really highlighted, um, what it takes to be a man, yeah. who taught you who, who taught you how to be a man and how you intend on teaching your sons how to be a man. So thank you so much again for taking your time out to answer our questions. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. No the, problem. I, I it. it was quite therapeutic in, in a sense. because I feel like I know, That's the thing. I really want it to be therapeutic. I want yeah. people to feel like they've offloaded and you know, giving something back and yeah, giving something to the world. So um yeah, thank you for doing that for us. Muchas gracias, Christine. What? Muchas gracias. See, I told you we'd keep it to half an hour this time round. So you heard it here. You heard how Francis deals with the conflict of wanting to be a traditional man whilst traditional manhood is seen as evil question for you though do you think that the community should step in and help raise boys who don't have a healthy father figure message us on instagram at pentalk uk and if you want to be a part of our fantastic podcast if you want to be on the season of on the couch with pentalk then let us know follow us obviously and follow me on twitter and instagram at i am crow That's I-A-M-C-R-O-E.